Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to Red Shirts and Runabouts, your uh, weekly podcast that's also part of the Heroes Podcast Network. And this week we're going to be talking, uh, we're back to Discovery, now that the Discovery mid-season break is over. And this was one hell of an episode, and we're not going to jump into spoilers just yet. I do want to introduce my uh, two very fabulous co-hosts. Go ahead and say hi, gentlemen. Hello, it's me, Jeremy. (laughs) And uh, this is Derek. Welcome back, guys. Yeah. It's good to be back and talking disco. Disco time. (laughs) that's <laughs> good time and this uh like i said this was um what's what's your 20 second thoughts derek on the was the episode was despite yourself yeah so this is chapter two of discovery season one um referred to as episode 10 of course it, it was very interesting this episode uh just non-stop kind of cranks up the intensity and the they really like they they were not easing us back into chapter 2 they were going full <laughs> throttle yeah uh with Jonathan Frakes directing and just full steam ahead they're pushing this 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 whole story arc it was wow what a ride i want to say so much but i don't want to spoil anything quite yet so yeah. it's tough that's kind of where i'm coming from too it's like uh let's let's drop that spoiler warning so we can just start talking about stuff <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is that was a heck of an episode to bring you back to a, a mid-season break. You know, they could have uh, this could have been a season premiere for like season two if they want if they really wanted to try to stretch out the uh, the CBS All Access bit. Well, and they clearly didn't write it as though it were a network coming back from break. It's it's just straight up is what it is. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to put it. I mean, it, it does pick up just where the the end of chapter one left off, um, you know, so we don't really lose any gap of time at all between those two episodes. Um, they're really tying it all together in a very, you know, flowing, consistent, uh, you know, serialized way. But they did good, and Jonathan Frakes still has that directorial chops. I know he gets a little flack now and then for some of the movies, but let's be honest, this was a, this was a darn good episode, and it's a good way... To re- get people reinvigorated for the new year. And it kind of feels like... I know they didn't know they were getting a season two early on. But maybe they were hearing rumblings about a season two during the during the creation. And they, they're punching it up. And I like it because it's part of the overall storyline. It's not just a throwaway. Because it's easy to do throwaway Mirror Mirror episodes. Or Mirror Universe episodes. And well, Yeah, and I think that's something that one, one or more of us kind of... Uh hypothesized before the break was that this was going to be a one and done trip to the mirror universe, but it it seems like they're going to be there for a little while. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised 
if they're there through the end of the season. Or at least until, you know, yeah. towards the end of the final episode of the season. Which I hope is the case, because I love it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, It feels like... <laughs> I know, we, I think we were joking a few weeks ago, it'd be fun to see a series set in the Mirror Universe, even though it wouldn't last. But, because nobody wants to see an evil federation for 98 episodes. Well, also, at some point, they would have to come to terms with the, the time discrepancy. Because doesn't it, like... It, it jumps a hundred years or something, but then it goes back to normal well, for Deep Space Nine. So this is where it gets kind of confusing. So there, there's a map out there of the timelines, and the Mirror Universe timeline doesn't exactly line up with ours. So it has more to do with when, did, like, did you cross over to the exact same time that you left, or did you also travel through time? Yeah, because there's like three intersection points with the mirror universe or something, isn't there? Well, I mean, so it's complicated. So Memory Alpha says that this is the ninth episode to feature the mirror universe, which just seems like that's ridiculously high, right? Because TNG and Voyager didn't do the mirror universe. No, but DS9 went there quite a bit. They they had like five episodes. Was it that many? Yeah. And Tholian Web, which was the first with the... Uh, what is it? The Defiant. Um, that wasn't even technically a mirror universe episode. That was just where it got sent into the mirror universe. So you just had mirror, mirror, the two episodes of Through the Mirror Darkly and Enterprise, and I think everything else was DS Nine. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not remembering that DS Nine did that many. Yeah, because there was the first one where they get like accidentally sucked in in a shuttlecraft and then there's the one where they invent the way that the teleporter can just teleport them there and then there's another like four episodes scattered through like about one for every other season of ds9 where you always go back and there's o'brien is has that nickname and and there's evil commandant kira that takes over yeah because that there was they had the episode where they were trying to rebuild the defiant yeah which they did a pretty darn good job for basically just having a sensor image of the Defiant and rebuilding it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this isn't the first time that the Mirror Universe has been a significant plot point. No. Uh, that, yeah, reacted to the, the normal plot of the show, because that was pretty heavy in DS9. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And one thing I do want to point out real quick is that there are two Defiants. There is the original Defiant, which is a Constitution-class starship like the Enterprise, which was from the Tholian web in the original series. Right. And then there's the Defiant from Deep Space Nine, which is a Defiant-class ship designed to fight the Borg. Right, and even in that, there have been multiple, because they they got a new one and then renamed it the Defiant. Right, yeah. Uh, But I've seen a lot of people on the internet kind of confused about why... Uh, Discovery would reuse the Deep Space Nine ship name, and that's not what they're doing. Oh, no. Yeah. So they're actually, yeah, and they're, 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 they're actually using the original ship. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, from way back well, when. <laughs> and I, I guess we've, we've already started talking about that it's the Mirror Universe, so I guess that's already kind of past the spoiler wall, so are, yeah. we, are, are we clear to talk about <laughs> things from the episode? All right, all right. Spoiler warning at this point. If you haven't seen it yet, you really should, and that has been your spoiler warning. Okay. Uh, so I just rewatched um, through the Mirror Darkly one and two, the Enterprise episodes. Yeah. 
uh, and and I was looking through um, Memory Alpha and all that stuff at the timeline. So this takes place a year after the events of those two episodes um, in the Mirror Universe timeline. So the Empress that they're talking about is Hoshi. Oh, wow. So I feel like they're going to run into Hoshi. That doesn't make any sense. That's that's the timeline for Memory Alpha. So there there must be some discrepancy there, though, because the whole reason that she becomes the Empress is that the Defiant from the Prime Universe is significantly advanced compared to anything in the Mirror Universe. I mean, maybe Hoshi's like 130 right now. <laughs> she's, been, <laughs> she's been ruling nonstop and won't give up power. But they said it's a, a year... Uh, after on memory, like it's it was like twenty one fifty five in Enterprise, and now it's twenty one fifty six. I mean, that's when Inamir Darkly happens, but the no, oh, and, I'm sorry, no, you're, you're, I think it's it's a, but I think it's twenty one fifty five versus twenty two. Yeah, twenty two. Oh, so it's a hundred years later. Yeah, yeah, it's twenty. It's twenty one fifty five um, that the Enterprise stuff happens, and then it's like. 2267 that like the mirror mirror episode happens in the original series huh we need like a okay. we need like a whiteboard to start tracking this like <laughs> like doc brown to create yeah. the alternate 1955 the alternate 1955 uh, <laughs> which led to the mirror universe that makes sense <laughs> it's all biff's fault it's oh, okay uh, so so if this is the time if this is 2255 then the defiant that they're looking for to find out how to get back into the prime universe is is probably like mothballed. I would imagine at this point it would have to be, yeah. The uh, the like flagship of Hoshi's mm-hmm. terrorism. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe it's a museum piece or something like that. You know, a, yeah. a a tribute to her rise to power. Or, I mean, I hate to be the extra uber Star Trek guy I am, but this happens. I mean, the Excelsior class is still used in Next Generation, and at that point, it's like eighty years old. So That's it's true. It's possible they're still using it because it was because Derek was Derek. You're absolutely correct. It was like a hundred years ahead of technology in the show Enterprise. So even if it's in use a hundred years later, it's basically going to be equivalent to the rest of the ships, barring something else happening to it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Then again, if you think about it, if they had a hundred years to reverse engineer all that stuff. Now, I will say that if I if I understand correctly, I don't think they're looking for the ship. She's looking Burnham's looking for the files about the ship that are in the Shinzao computer system. Right. They're looking for the explanation as to what caused the Defiant to cross over. Right, exactly. Makes me wonder why they keep those files on the Shinzao. I know it's the rogue yeah. one it's the rogue one thing. Why'd they keep the Death Star plants here? Because there would be no story without it. I mean... Well, I mean, I guess in Star Trek, though, basically all the ships always have the Federation database, right? You mean the Terran Empire database? Sorry, yeah, the Terran <laughs> Empire database. I was so, just being I a mean, brat. You know. No, but you're right, though. Like, I mean, that, but that's kind of what it is, right? Is they're, they're using... They're basically Googling uh, that information on the intranet of the Terran Empire. Well, in following both of your suggestions from a week ago... I went back and started rewatching a bunch of the Enterprise episodes. Um, oh, like about the just get caught up to speed in the Temporal Cold War and into the Mirror Darkly because those episodes are fantastic. Um, it's it, it's a really a shame what happened with Enterprise after that because it got it was it was hitting its stride in season four. 
Yeah, it really was. I, that, I think Future Guy was the big problem, but we'll, we'll talk about Enterprise at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, dude, guys, so much stuff happens in this episode. Um, to start with, one thing I, I, I'd like to touch on is how quickly they are like buying into this is a mirror universe, we've got to act differently. And it all starts with Cadet Tilly. I mean, Captain Killy? Captain Killy. That's exactly <laughs> Love right. it. Um, God. How cool was that? That was cool. And they didn't cheese it up. It would have been it would have been very easy to make it almost kind of like lame or just all this. I don't know. They could have made it goofy, but I think they actually did it well enough. It was pretty goofy. It was goofy. I mean, but it, was, it was goofy in the best way. That's what I mean is they could have just made it really... I don't know. I was worried they they were going to do like a modern Hollywood thing where Tilly's carrying around a bag of the skulls of the people she's killed, just to show <laughs> just to show how different she is from regular universe Tilly. I'll cut off your tongue and use it to lick my boots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I just I feel like everything about Tilly's character was designed for this punchline. It's like she's exactly the opposite of this, so now it's hilarious to see her in this position. Well, and there's some. It- there's some interesting foreshadowing. Uh, earlier on in the season, Stamets calls her captain by accident. Huh. Because uh, it's after one of the jumps, and he's kind of loopy, and he's t- kind of out of it. He's like, Captain, what are you doing down here? Oh, Stamets does, yeah. Yeah, Stamets does. And, you know, of course we laugh, and that's hilarious, because it's Cadet Tilly, right? And here she is now, captain of the Discovery, and she's got all these badges on her, and somebody um, went through and made a nice graphic of this, because I guess on After Trek, which which I don't actually watch, uh, they explain what her badges are, and uh, they're for Valor, Master of Poisons, 50, <laughs> 50 kills, and 100 kills. So she's a rogue. So she is deadly. You do not want to mess with Captain Killy. Well, and I like that because they did the one 30-second scene where regular Universe Tilly is commenting to her to Burnham and company that that captain represents everything I'm not. And I like that because it just it helps reinforce her as a regular main character that it doesn't she's not looking at her going, "Oh, I want to try to amend this person or save myself or anything like that." Which is just a, such a trope Hollywood does. Um, it's just like... Well, at the same time, it also is a great explanation for what the Mirror Universe is. Yep. Yeah, her blonde hair is like her goatee. <laughs> yes, I love it. I just I love that moment where she looks at her hollow mirror self and said, Well, my mom would be happy with this hairstyle. Because <laughs> it just immediately tells you everything you need to know about Tilly. That she's just like... Constantly tried to get long, straight blonde hair from her mom, but she's like, "No, I want frizzy red hair. I want to be, I want to be different." And now it's just like, "Nope, Captain Killy has has pretty long blonde hair, and this is what you have to look like now." Mm-hmm. So, how did you guys feel about the the new uniforms? They're a little cheesy, but I I think that's kind of the point. Is like they've been so serious and so life and death with Discovery all this time. I feel like this is them getting. Like cornball, Jonathan Frakesy, like kind of more into the next gen storytelling where everything's a little silly. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't have the you know next gen. The three of us have been joking about that for since we started. Next gen, like all the characters are perfect. Like at, right. at whatever they do, they're just the best at. And Discovery, I kind of 
aside from the doctor who we'll talk about, I don't really get that impression from any of them. <sighs> the doctor. The doctor. We'll, we'll get to the doctor. The um, doctor who none of, we can never remember his name, but Doctor now Doctor Colber. Doctor Colber. Colber. Okay. Yeah, Doctor Colber. We'll get to we'll get to Doc. We'll get to Doc. Um, so okay, so you mentioned Jonathan Frakes. Now he has uh, this is really cool. It's his first time directing an episode of Star Trek since 1995. Wow. I mean, yeah, makes sense. Now, of course, he did direct First Contact, the movie. How do you guys think he did? Uh good. Everything was shot very well. Nothing was like, you know, they've been doing a lot of things where it's like Dutch angles and weird things shown through hollow. So it's not quite, not quite as artistic as we've seen. Like the cinematography is a little more pedestrian uh, than the first half of the season. But it, it definitely the the pacing and the the acting and the the kind of you know all the connective tissue felt very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he did great. Um, it's it's probably my favorite Discovery episode to date so far. And maybe that has something to do with Frakes' directing. I think a lot of it has to deal with just the overall place in the story. Um, some of the comments you two have been making have, in the past, have made me start considering the whole, is this, is Lorca in the regular universe from the Mirror Universe and all that jazz? I'm... Just because there's a lot of subtle actions that happen in this episode, and I kind of like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, Frakes, of course, is no um, newcomer to the series, you know, being Riker, of course. But he's actually, this is his 17th time directing Star Trek. So for those who don't know, he directed eight episodes of TNG, three of both Voyager and Deep Space Nine, and two of the films, First Contact and Insurrection. And even though he's in an episode of Enterprise, he never actually directed any of Enterprise, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, well, unless you count, uh, since he directed First Contact, there is a large sequence from uh, First Contact in A Mirror Darkly Part 1, where you see that the kickoff of the Mirror Universe is when, uh, what's his name? Oh, no. Zephram Cochran. I forgot it. Zephram Cochran, <laughs> instead of shaking the hands of the, the first uh, Vulcan to land on Earth... Blast him with a shotgun to the face. America. America. Yeah. <laughs> what I love, because in that opening scene, in the background, there's like, everybody's got like a submachine gun. <laughs> like, they were just... Yeah. <laughs> there we go. They were saving those just in case. Right, yeah. Just in case of a rainy day. The board would not have stood a chance. Uh... Now, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, though. You know, I mean, the Borg, you would think, technologically, would just overwhelm the Terran Empire. Yeah, though, unless you have the Explorer Picard getting, you know, f- screwed with by Q and sent into their land to, to draw them back, uh, that never would have happened. That's true. That is true. Then it gets all cyclical, because you've got the episode Regeneration from Enterprise, and they sent a signal out and it was supposed to take like 75 years to reach the Delta Quadrant and, you know, gets all complicated and timey-wimey, so. Yeah. A lot of, lot of looped causality. Right, exactly. But, you know, I, I like the episode because uh, it's my, my base condition for liking an episode of Discovery is not having these friggin' monster alien Klingons in it. Well, Lorel's in it. 
Lorel, but she speaks English and she kind of acts like we've seen Klingons act in, in other instances. That's true. I mean, it definitely felt very Trek, the whole episode. Everything about it felt familiar and, yeah, you know, um, of course, there, there was some really shocking moments. So, I guess we could talk about Dr. Culver. Well, let's talk about Tyler first. You want yeah. to talk about Tyler first? Because the, the Culver one is really sad. The Tyler one is still kind of annoying to me. Uh, I see. I, I, never, I never gave up that theory. That, that Tyler is actually, what is it, Vos? Voke. 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 Yeah. Look, I never gave it up. I just don't think it makes any sense. I mean, it's a show, so you can write whatever you want, but it doesn't yeah. mean that it, that it makes sense to me. And I get where they're going. They're starting to explain, well, he had significant surgeries, and they shortened his limbs and his spine and, and all of that, but... Yeah, we, we did a full body scan, but we didn't notice this laundry list of things that are weird about you. We, we did, we, it's like when you scan your hard drive for errored sections, you know, there's, there's deep scan levels you can do. And we just right. did the, we did the nightly scan and didn't really go into the deep, you know, weekly scan that you should run. We just confirmed so, you were humanoid, not necessarily human. Right. Yeah. Cause. Which is ridiculous that like this guy is coming off of a Klingon ship, the longest known prisoner to ever survive during wartime. He's going to have a sensitive position on the ship, on a top secret ship, and nobody runs, like, deep tissue tests on this dude? Well, I just wonder if he is, like, if there was originally a Tyler. Because he's in there, he's obviously in Starfleet's records, because he rejoins, so they would have to check to make sure he was a guy. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that that may or may not be true. I mean, the Klingons could have falsified the record somehow or, or something like that, but... Yeah, it's true. Either way, though, like, it's still... there. Even Lorca was suspicious. You know, how did you survive this long? And yada, yada, yada. I, I would just think that it's common practice, especially during war on a top-secret ship, to provide as much information as possible on this person. Yeah. Well, what I'm worried about is I don't want them to get lazy with the Tyler story right now. Like, if he is a Klingon in disguise, if he is Voke or whatever. The problem I have is with the whole... We've seen, you know, surgical alterations of faces and skin color and such in Star Trek. But even McCoy in Undiscovered Country, when he's scanning Gorkin, he's like, I don't even know the man's anatomy. He just knows it sounds, it looks, and functions very different. And I always laugh because this is the ultra nerd mode for a second. Remember a TV show Babylon 5? Yeah. About 20 some years ago? Yeah. There's an actual episode where one of the aliens is talking about differences between them and humanity, and the alien just says, well, we have six. And that's all they say. They're just talking about their sexual organs. And so the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, they can bust this guy's legs up, they can change his height, change his spine. But even a scan, they're going to be like, this dude's got, you know, he's got a backup heart and a backup liver and a backup this. Unless the Klingons ripped all that stuff out during the surgical alteration. Well, they said that there was, like, severe um, surgical scarring around all of his organs. So that's kind of what I was assuming was they pretty much took him apart and rebuilt him as a human using his existing tissue. Or yeah. there were, there was a, an Ash Tyler that they, like, took apart and put back together with Vokes, like memory engrams implanted over top of his own or the other way around. Like a Manchurian candidate. Like I, I, 
Yeah. Well, so, okay, but that's the thing that they focus on that. And Culver says that the Manchurian candidate thing doesn't work anymore, but there's a... But the other way around. But the other way around. So he, he, if that's the case, he has to have been Klingon first, and they made him human. And I just feel like the amount of work that would go into that, you, you would have noticed. I mean, the whole point about Klingons, and we learned this from Worf, and especially in Deep Space Nine, they basically have a backup organ for everything. Yeah. So you had to remove half of his organs. You had to re- you had to completely change his skin, change his spine, his limbs. They had to make everything shorter, change his skull. Yeah. Look, all I got to say yeah. is next the next TV show of Star Trek, there better be a Klingon doctor if they're this damn good. Yeah. Well, and again, they said uh, from the, the get-go that they were going to explain why we've seen Klingons look more human in other instances of, of Star Trek. So maybe whatever they did to him will be explained as part of that. Well, I mean, they already explained the TOS Klingons with the augment stuff in Enterprise. So, yeah, I mean, they, you're not going to explain, like, the Worf era Klingons and why they look the way they do for the same procedure. It's going to have That's to be true. something else. Yeah, it'll, it'll never really make sense because we've seen Enterprise Klingons look like Next Generation and DS9 Klingons. So it's not like there would be a gap where they look like slimy aliens for just a little while and exactly. bounce back. Who knows, yeah. maybe right. Noonien Singh or Soong had a brother and that brother is messing with the Klingons again. Yeah, maybe. Those poor Klingons. Well, he was the whole Augment yeah, guy. Right? And some more it was Soong that was the Augment creator, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That... Yeah. For a second, I heard the pause. I was like, oh, crap, did I just say the wrong name again? Um, no, you're good. I'll look really quick before we jump off Tyler. One thing i got to give the actor credit for, and this is horrible to say, he plays somebody with PTSD very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I do not want to take anything away from, uh, and I, I'm sorry if I pronounce this wrong, Shazad Latif. Uh, he is awesome. Yeah. As Tyler. Well, <laughs> and this entire time, you you he's played it so that you like him and are also suspicious of him, and I've never seen that carried for so long. Because I mean, since he's been introduced, he's maintained that that level of like I don't entirely trust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, without no, like you said, giving up the fact that he's a lovable. It, you feel bad for him, then you don't like him, but then he kind of has a flashback, and you're like, man, I feel horrible for this guy. I kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, I still feel bad for him because at the moment, he doesn't really know who he is. He doesn't understand that he's folk yet. He's still Ash, right? And so he, the Ash persona, that personality is really literally being tortured. Um, and so I still feel bad for him. And that's one thing I want to point out is like the actors are all wonderful. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this same thing for Lorca, too, is like, I still don't know if Lorca's a good guy or a bad guy. After this many episodes, there's there's just enough under the surface, because, like, you know, we never hear anybody giving their, their star logs where we hear exactly what they're thinking. Everything is under the surface. Um, so it's it's all conveyed through acting, and, and they're all such good actors. We need, like, a Data's Day rehash, but it'll be Tilly's Day. I like it. Captain Killy's log. Captain Killy's log. Death Day 1. Now, I will say, though, I think that, and maybe this is why they're doing it, but I like the idea that a lot of these characters, not all of them, of course, you know, Tilly is a good person, and Dr. Colbert is a good person, uh, but... Was. 
hang on, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, of, of these other characters are gray areas, right? That most most people are not a hundred percent good or a hundred percent bad. They're somewhere in between. They're they're either trying to do the right thing in the wrong way, or you know they they're kind of back and forth. They'll do the bad thing for for certain situations, but not others. Right. right. They have a code of some kind that they live by. Right. And I feel like that's that's the Captain Lorca. You know, he, it's wartime and he is going to do whatever it takes to make sure the Federation wins that war. And if that means doing some shady stuff and hurting some other people along the way, that's OK because it's for the common good. Yeah, he's great Jedi. I mean, that's that's the big thing about Discovery is that we don't have the, the goody goodies of of previous ones, we have, you know, people willing to, uh, break those rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and that's, that's a good kind of comment for this episode because for both of you guys, because I've seen some of the, some of the stuff I read online, people are, I don't know, most people seem to like this episode, but some of the complaints I'm, I'm reading are, they feel it's like a little too fan fiction ish and a, yeah. and a little too, you gotta quit. You gotta quit finding these complaints. That's what I mean. Is I'm like, guys, it's Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek has done bizarre stuff for 50 years now. I yeah. mean, the, the, the original series literally had an episode where there was that one guy that thought Nazis were a good idea and he made a whole Nazi planet. I'm like, they do weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't think it's any campier of an idea than any of the other Mirror Universe episodes. Um, if anything, it's probably the most serious of them. And it's done in a pretty interesting way. I mean, they really make the ship blend in. They they change the uniforms, then comm badges. They change the computer screens. They actually change the name on the hull of the ship yep. to make it the ISS Discovery. Um, yeah. You know, this was done in a very explained, detailed way. And people are always going to have problems. I mean, there, there are always going to be somebody complaining about something. That's just the nature of of fandom, right? But if you take this in the universe of Star Trek, as this being, you know, what is this? Episode number 739. Frit. Okay. Um, it fits in quite well. <laughs> I was going to say the, the montage where they're updating the ship and, like, changing all of the screens to have the, the Terran desktop background and all this stuff. It's just the, the detail done so quickly but so well was such a, a good sequence. Well, and that's like Starfleet, because yeah. the Ferengi, the Dominion, the Cardassians all commented in, deep, in, all the, in all the episodes about nobody ever doubts Starfleet's technical skill. And right. I like that. And, you know, I would actually argue that of all the Mirror Universe episodes people should complain about... I think some of the DS9 ones were the were the weirdest, goofiest of them all. Um, yeah, with Smiley O'Brien. I mean, those were fun. Nerese. Those were fun episodes to do because they wanted to take a break from the revolving storylines. Fine, no problem. But so they wanted to kill Quark and have it not be consequential, right? And you know, let let Kira do some fun acting outside of the the straight and narrow Kira Nerese. Now she's in DS9. She's very sexual and very powerful and very outgoing and. She gets to do instead of a religious fanatic. Yeah, instead of a religious fanatic, she gets to do some different stuff. But mm -hmm. so Tyler PTSD. Let's get. We got to continue talking about what he goes through with. I guess the doctor. Well, yeah. So he's he gets a little bit of a freak out from uh, Laurel, uh, who apparently is unhappy with the amount of programming because uh, she 
tries to trigger him with the the prayer of Kales, um, but it it only seems to like kind of stick. Yeah, it did. It didn't really work right, uh, which I thought was really kind of funny because it seemed like very um, very Marvel, very Winter Soldier, right? You know, boxcar. Um, <laughs> Right? Like, that's exactly what it was, right? You know? Yeah. Um, it was just a bunch of words. And it didn't really uh, work out quite right. And it kind of messed him up. It almost, like, fried his brain a little bit, where he knows something's wrong now, but he's not quite sure what. Well, right. It seems like he's, instead of, like, rebooting as Voke, he's now double-booted as, like, half Voke, half Ash Tyler. Voke Tyler? <laughs> Um, but he, in a fit of rage, snaps the neck of Dr. Colbert in an incredibly shocking moment. Uh, Ray, who hosts uh, Screen Heroes and the Gauntlet on the network, uh, happens to be my girlfriend. She's watching it with me and audibly gasped. And we had to kind of pause the episode for a minute. She was a little emotional about what had happened there because she was really uh, enjoying uh, his relationship with Stamets and, and all that. And man, that was... That caught me off guard. Yeah. Especially, like, I'm I'm almost glad we had this time between the two episodes, because the two of them, how they kind of connected in in the, the last episode before the break, um, before he went in for all the jumps and, and just the care and compassion and the the concern that the doctor showed for statements, it just, it really highlighted how, how deep and how potent their relationship mm-hmm. was. And for him to just be completely catatonic when five feet away, uh, Culber's neck is snapped because he found out too much. It's it's so heartbreaking. I'll admit, I'm, when it happened, I actually thought it was just Tyler kind of having a mental freak out, like of something he wants to do. Like when he was having his interaction with Laurel, and he was having all his images well, and his flashes. Imagining it. Yeah, I was wondering if that's what it was, and then they pan out, I'm like, nope, he's definitely dead. Yeah, uh, now I will say this, and you know, I apologize if anybody didn't want to know, uh, but they interviewed Wilson Cruz uh, after the fact of, of this episode, and he plays is Dr. Is that Colbert? Yeah, that, that's Dr. Colbert. Um, and it turns out this is not the last we will see of Dr. Colbert. Maybe there's Mirror Colbert? Well, I am curious. Are they going to try and pull like a Harry Kim and, and pull a Colbert from another you know, out of phase timeline or something. Well, also, I mean, we're, we're not, we don't know how neck snapping affects, uh, future medical technology. Cause you know, uh, Worf had some serious spinal damage and, and they fixed him. So yeah. Yeah. And ethics. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they'll find a back to tank or something. <laughs> I mean, that's very possible. I don't know. Um, Speaking of tanks, I love how they they still use uh, Neelix, or not Neelix, um, Phlox, Dr. Phlox's uh, the agonizer? torture tubes. <laughs> yeah, the agonizer. I was like, oh, hey, Phlox has been, he must be getting royalties well into the future. Don't forget the agonizer's in Mirror Mirror, the original episode. Oh, is it? Yes. I still haven't seen it. I had forgotten that you haven't seen that. So, yeah. yeah, the original Mirror Universe episode does have the Agonizer booth. So It's a lot more vicious was... with the with the modern technology to make it, though. <laughs> yeah, man. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. When I saw that, I, I couldn't, like, 
it's it's a it was a really weird sensation because part of me, of course, is like, well, that's horrible. It's happening to those people. But at the same time, I smirked a little bit because they were pulling all this stuff in from the original Mirror Mirror episode fifty years ago, and they're doing it really well. Like it still looks like an agonizer booth. Just obviously yeah. not made out of cardboard. Well, and that's why yeah. I don't buy into all the fan complaints or random complaints of this episode does this, that, or the other. I'm like, the people making Discovery are obviously Star Trek fans. They know the history. They know oh, a lot yeah. of the lore. They bring in all these throwbacks. They brought it back Jonathan Frakes. I mean, they... <laughs> you called him a throwback? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, they get people that, little bit. that know... Uh, yeah, I mean... It, the agonizers were painful to watch, but I'm with you, Derek. It's, oh man, this was in Mirror Mirror, and this was in a Mirror Darkly, and... And they're going after, I mean, they're talking about the Defiant and all this stuff, yeah. I mean, they're they're doing all this stuff, like, it's, they're technically Easter eggs or callbacks, but they're also, like, meaningful plot points, where it, they're not just doing winky things. Right. Uh, though, I mean, the, the Tribble on Lorca's desk was a little bit winky, and like, the the Gorn skeleton and all that stuff, but this this is like, oh, they're they're just working with like the show Bible from, you know, many, many decades past. Yeah, I mean they're kind of, they're doing universe building, right? Is really yeah. what it is. I mean they, they know that a lot of new people are gonna be watching this show, but they also know that a lot of, of old time Trekkies are gonna be watching it too. And they have to bridge that gap and show the past and the future you know both in the real world and on the show. Um and so they've done that. They've, they've had the Tribble on the desk because, well, that's something that most people remember. The, the trouble with Tribbles and Trials and Tribulations. The Tribble is kind of a pop culture Trek thing, you know. Um, but then they do some some more complex stuff like they're doing here with, with the Mirror Universe. Um, I, I think that – you know, I was kind of skeptical of the show when it, when it first launched, if you guys remember. And it has just continued to get better. Oh yeah, definitely. By leaps and bounds too. Like the the first probably five episodes were very jumbled, and they they were clearly shuffling around um, bits of storytelling that didn't really mesh together. Um, like where the the A story and B story were just completely disjointed, and they're they're throwing all of that Klingon exposition because I think they probably shot a few episodes early on that were supposed to be entirely Klingon, like we were going to follow the you know, the light of Kaleh's ship or whatever, as if, as if that was going to be a full episode carry by itself. Um, but since we've gotten away from that, uh, it's, it's clear they've kind of realized they, Klingons need to take a, a backseat. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely changed tones a little bit. It's gotten a lot tighter, uh, um, of a show. It's, it's picked up the pace. The, the actors settled in, I think, into their roles very quickly. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it just reminds me that modern television is is just very different from the way television was the last time Trek was on. Well, yeah, what's been the most surprising about Discovery to me, and this episode really caps it off, is I know Burnham's the main character, and it's not a slight to the actress. The actress is great, she's beautiful, but I actually am some, I find myself more interested in a lot of the secondary characters, like the Tillys and the Stamets and the Doctor and... This is a first for me in Star Trek, because I, I think I'm with a lot of the people where, you know, Spock, Bones, and Kirk, and then, you know, Cisco, Jedzia, and Kira, and all this stuff. You always have, your, you always yeah. have like, your big three, and Discovery's 
really the first show where I'm like, I really like Tilly. Like, I just, I think it's, like I said, a couple episodes ago, I relate to her so much. But I, it, it's unusual for me to, to say that about secondary characters. Usually, you know, I love, and I love Jordy LaForge, don't get me wrong, but Star Trek Next Generation wasn't about Jordy LaForge. No, but I think the the key here is that Burnham, at, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, like she's playing the straight person, right? She is very uh, serious and to the point and focused on the mission, um, you know, keeping her emotions in check because of her Vulcan upbringing. And she's really contrasted by Tilly, who's the most human character we've probably ever had on Star Trek. You know, and then on the flip side, you have other characters who just, you know, seem more nuanced and interesting, like Stamens with the Mycelian Network, or Lorca and his shadowy darkness, or, um, you know, Saru being, the, you know, the main alien on the cast, or Ash Tyler being the guy you're not sure if you're supposed to trust. Well, and also, Saru is the first um, main crew non-human that isn't <clears throat> kind of treated like a super being. Because yeah. so many of the alien species that we meet have some, like, they they have all of the abilities of a normal human being and then some extraordinary ability. But Saru's like, oh, my, my alien race is prey and my my special ability is to sense fear. Even though we do see him running like a, a freak and, and knocking Michael around pretty severely. But, like, he's he's a coward for the most part. Like, a tactical coward, but still very much uh, different than the other aliens we've seen in other Star Trek series. Yeah, compared to the Spocks and the Wharfs and the Kiras. Right. Basically all Bajorans Data. are spiritual fanatics that are also great warriors. I think a really good comparison, the only character that I think comes close to this would be Nog from DS9, uh, where he wanted to join Starfleet and everyone kind of thought he was a bit of a joke and didn't take him seriously because he was Ferengi. You know, and Ferengi aren't to be trusted. They just want to swindle you out of money. And he really wanted to show what he was made out of. And, you know, by the end of the series, I mean, he's, what, he lost part of a leg to the war. And he's, you know, the con officer on the Defiant. And he's really made something of himself. Um, No, but, but, you know, I think that's the only example that comes close to Saru, a character who wasn't on the bridge because of some unique ability. Yeah. True, 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 true. So, back to the episode really quick. What are your thoughts overall? Because I know this kind of shtick can frustrate some people. You know, we got to go onto the onto the ship to get the thing to do the thing. The whole Lorca Burnham replacing herself and capturing Lorca and getting on the Shenzhou and all this stuff. Lorca smashing his face on that door was shocking. Like. Just the the brutality of it and doing it twice um, to himself with, like, no hesitation and barely any reaction. Like, that's the kind of thing a a textbook psychopath does. <laughs> like, it, it really, like, more than anything I've seen Lorca do as a character, that one made me, made me really question Lorca's uh, mental state. To just be able to smash your face with that brutal- brutality that you split your nose... Is just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, I thought that that was actually very consistent for the character. Because it helps solidify that he really will do whatever it takes 
to make sure the Federation wins the war against the Klingons. And if that means that he's got to beat the crap out of himself to get the information necessary to bring Discovery home, he will not even second-guess it. Yeah, but, I mean, there's there's that when it's like, I have to get out of these handcuffs, I'm going to take some deep breaths and then really suffer through, like, disjointing my hand or something. But then there's like, he it was like he left the, you know, pilot light on or turned, you know, Left it, left a burner on where he's just like, oh yeah, smash, smash. There's, there wasn't like any, there just wasn't any pause to it. And it was horrifying. If this was the Orville, he would have knocked himself out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so to, so to answer kind of the question about the tropiness of it, I think that there's a couple factors. First off, they made this beautiful model, uh, CGI model, of course, of the Shinzao. And they wanted to use it some more. So they had an excuse <laughs> to use it. And I'm okay with it because it's a gorgeous ship and that that's fine. Um, I like the idea that they couldn't just come up with the answer on their own on the Discovery. Because that's something Star Trek has always done, right? Is, you know, the slingshot around the sun on the crappy bird of prey that we talked about last week. Um, or just, you know, Jordy and Data figure out that if they reverse the polarity on this and shut off the inertial dampeners, then we can turn on the transporters and beam back to the right reality or whatever. The magnetic right? field thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that they could just fi- figure it out and install a new switch on the control panel, uh, is very, you know, tech, the tech kind of cheapness of the Star Trek writing. This doesn't do that. This shows that. They have to do a thing that's a lot more tactile, a lot more real feeling that, you know, if this was a war that took place on Earth, yeah, you'd have to go and steal the plans or the map that you need to go home or something, you know? Um, well, and, and in in addition to the, I mean, there's the, there's the tropey kind of goofy aspect of it that is Captain Killy and, and everyone even in the show's reality is laughing about that and kind of like... Well, this is just how it is, lol. But then when you're confronted with the reality of it and these like like very messed up evil people in the Terran Empire and like Tilly or Michael has to kill Connors, who she was so heartbroken to like like he died under her watch and like he's captain of this ship that, that she saw the the dead Hulk of, and then she gets confronted by the reality that is the the darkness of the the mirror universe and has to put him down in the elevator in like a pretty brutal fashion uh and then gets applauded for it that was that was just such a brutal moment of this episode speaking of the brutality though so didn't they there was a throwaway line in there about how not throwaway it was part it was good for the story but how they think that the mirror universe discovery is in their universe now Yes. Yeah, that they traded places. Yep. I love that. Because that's exactly how it should be. Because, now, I'm sorry, Jeremy, you don't know this, but in Mirror Mirror, that's what happens, is the crew members that get beamed over, they switch places. So, Mirror Kirk is on our you know, our Enterprise, so to speak. Yeah, and, I've, I've read the plot synopsis, I just haven't watched the episode. So, like, how cool is that? Like, they, they follow that along, that like, you can't just go over there easily it's a swap so is captain is captain killy <laughs> yeah well there's mirror statements too that clearly has been bleeding over into this statements 
So I wonder if, if they also have spore drive, even minus Lorca. So does Captain Killy and our regular universe find the first Vulcan ship and just blast it to hell? Oh god. Captain Killy's unleashed. And maybe they do. Maybe it turns out that the, the, the Enterprise, the ISS Discovery in the regular universe it does destroy like a Klingon vessel. And then, or a Klingon, like a Vulcan vessel. And then when they switch places again, then Discovery has to deal with that. They're like, well, no, it wasn't us. It was our mirror counterparts. We swear. Oh my god, if they come back to the Prime Universe and Captain Killy has, like, won the, the Klingon War, just with <laughs> sheer sheer brutality. I love it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is really interesting that what what those characters are now having to go through. You talked about, you know, Burnham, you know, going onto the bridge of the Shenzhou and, you know, the crewman's dead and she has, you know, everyone starts clapping. It showed that, you know, respect was something that was earned even in the Terran Empire and they respected her, but they didn't respect him. Yeah, and it it contrasts quite a bit with the the Enterprise mirror episode within the Mirror Darkly where even the change of command, not everybody immediately supports the new captain. Versus this, she stabs the current captain and they're like, hey, our original captain's back. We love her. And they start clapping. So it's a little bit more maybe brutal or maybe it's more Terran Empire-ish, I guess. Yeah, in the, if it was like the Enterprise episode, everybody would be getting laid. Well, yeah, there's that. I think it's it's more realistic, though, because... You have a situation where they truly respected their captain and then she died and they were stuck with this guy and they didn't really think he was a good captain and he thought he had to rule through fear rather than earning respect by his accomplishments. Yeah, it's it's almost like the mirror universe is kind of like what would Starfleet be like if they adopted more Klingon mentality? Because yes. the whole Klingon concept of... If you think you're better than the captain, challenge the captain. I mean, hell, they they were letting random people challenge Galron at one point. You know, random Klingon font number five. I'm I could do better than you. Um, so it's kind of like Klingon Federation merge almost. Right. Now we're we're getting close on time here. What else would you guys like to touch on? Do you have Do you have any thoughts on who the Emperor might be? I want Jolene Blaylock to come back to have, like, sub-commander whatever became Tapar after Hoshi died. Vulcan? Yeah. <laughs> Vulcan it's Emperor of the Terran Empire? I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. No. I know people um, are... I know the discussion that it could be Georgiou, which... Oh. They said she's the actress is coming back, so maybe she is the, the Empress. Oh, that has to be it. That's perfect. Because especially if she's dispatching Michael as an assassin, because they already have this working kind of mentor-mentee relationship, that makes perfect sense that it would be Giorgio. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what really sells it, right? Is that they can play off of that existing relationship. And, yeah. you know, yeah, the Shinzao was her ship at one point in time, but then she ascended to Empress. And, you know, doesn't she handed it to her her apprentice, so to speak. And that's that. And maybe when they start trying to come to the conclusion of the episode, it's, you know, they meet and Giorgio realizes there's something off about this Burnham because they've been together so long, comrades, they fought in war. Maybe she's the one going, what the hell is going on with this Burnham? You look the same, you're talking the talk, but you're not really 
You're not acting in the way my Burnham acted. Does Burnham still have, uh, I guess she wouldn't have Giorgio's um, uh, badge on her? No. Um, I mean, our Burnham has it. Right. Right, but the I don't know, I guess the Mirror Universe one would not. No, I just mean, if, if our Burnham, I wonder if that'll come into play, where she's like, this is your badge, you died in, in our universe, so that's like how she calms her down. That'd be interesting. I mean, that's a confrontation I would like to see. It would be for very good television. Because everybody likes the actress that plays Giorgio. I mean, I was one of the people early on that's like, I want her to be the captain, not Lorca. And it's not against Jason Isaacs. I love the actor Jason Isaacs. I just really liked Captain Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about that. The the return of Dark Giorgio. <laughs> it's got to be her. It's got to be. And, I mean, not not to be insensitive, but if racially for someone to succeed Hoshi oh kind of kind of fits I see what you mean or or continuing the Hoshi because I mirror uh memory alpha I think was the one talking about there's like a whole Hoshi dynasty they yeah. rule for what like a hundred years or something after her she takes power but that might explain why it's no longer in Hoshi's family that Giorgio overthrew ah, the, true. the 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 Hoshi Sato Empire. Because if it's like from the same part of the planet, if the control is happening, it kind of makes Which sense. Which being the uh, history nerd and the, the desktop historian I am, the whole Chinese history, the fall of the dynasties and the changing of the empire, the emperors and empresses, it's like the Terran Empire, the Hoshi Dynasty falls and the Giorgio Empire or dynasty takes over. Yeah. And yeah, so, now you know from just a straight, just you know, personal perspective, like I, a lot of people are just assuming that Giorgio and Hoshi would be related, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think that's the unfortunate circumstance of there being very few Asian actors represented in Star Trek. Because uh, well, also Hoshi's Japanese and Giorgio's Chinese. Well, so that that's the thing, right? And and Hoshi, I mean, you know, uh, Linda Park is actually a Korean actor. She's South Korean. Um, and so there's there's a lot of, of Asian culture in play here that is yeah. not one group of people. So I think that's an important thing to remember. While seeing Giorgio would be great because we love the character and the actor, um, they're not they're not going to be related characters, uh, Hoshi and, and Giorgio. No, I so. well, I don't not, think so at all. Not blood relatives, but they could be associated in some way that the show itself would be able to use that connection. Uh, I mean, maybe. I, I think that... It might be problematic if they did, but I'm yeah, just saying it's, I, it's in the cards. I don't think that's a good idea. I, I, I yeah. think that it, it would be a much... I think it would be a much more plausible thing that Giorgio overthrew the Sato Empire. That's right. why the Sato Empire... Exactly, 100 years. 100 years. This takes place exactly 100 years later. It would be very convenient. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's perfect, right? You just... Giorgio overthrows the Sato Empire with the help of Burnham, and, and so Giorgio gives Burnham... The Shenzhou after she becomes the Empress. Yeah. And that's that. Super, super Which means she'll be super yeah. excited to see Burnham back in action and she'll, you know, we'll, we'll see the Empress very soon. I can only hope. Or maybe they're going to do something in the, in the sense where Giorgio in this, in the mirror universe, absolutely 100% knows that Burnham's oh, dead. Oh, yeah. And she sees Michael, and she sees Michael Burnham again and she's like, uh, 
I know where your corpse is. What? <laughs> what the Maybe hell Gordon is? Maybe tried this? to assassinate her. That could be very interesting. Oh. Oh wow. So many see so many different threads that they could start to unravel at the. So, but before we wrap up, since I know we're hitting that point, uh, we have not talked about Stamen's talking about the palace, and he's but he's saying don't, don't go there. Yeah, I mean, I think that so this would work perfectly if it's George Joe's that Burnham would feel compelled, like she'd feel she'd feel a level of safety thinking that her friend is is the Empress. Not necessarily safety as much as Giorgio's dead and she wants to see her mentor. Oh, I love the idea that that Burnham killed Hoshi and seated Giorgio. That's that's so good. <laughs> well, it, would, it wouldn't be Hoshi. It would be like Hoshi's granddaughter. You don't know. It could be like super old, medically yeah. maintained Hoshi or something. Possible. I mean, I guess, I guess that's true because uh, Captain Archer was, was still around when Kirk was... In uh, I mean, the academy. So. Well, hell, McCoy shows up in a counter at four point. He's 129 years old. <laughs> well, so that's see, that's the thing though. The, the gap between TOS and TNG is shorter than the cap. The 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 gap between Enterprise and TOS. True. True. Yeah. So. Who knows? But uh, but the the O nine movie name drops uh, Archer. So that's that's right because Kurt they. The beaming incident with Scotty and Archer's dog. Exactly. Yeah. Which Archer would? Nice oh, I'm surprised guy. Archer didn't just outright kill Scotty, but you know, <laughs> poor Porthos. Poor Porthos. So, <laughs> last second thoughts, gentlemen, Derek, on despite yourself. Man, yeah. is it Sunday yet? Like, I need another episode. <laughs> like, on one hand, I love that we're able to to watch an episode and then talk about it. And then go see another. But on the other, other, on the other hand, like I want this to be like a Netflix series where I can yep. just watch the whole thing and know what. See, happens. this is why I'm I'm glad it isn't just a bingeable Netflix show, and there are these delays because I like there. There's a genuine like mystery in play, and I like dwelling on it. I don't I don't want those immediate responses. That's fair. I totally get. I'm that. just glad there aren't young Sheldon commercials anymore. Yeah, but Jeremy, you you like the episode, right? Oh hell yeah. This episode's great. I, I love. Nah, I'm, with, I'm with you both. Yeah, I, I want to spend the rest of the season in the mirror universe and just poke and prod at all of the the various threads. Nah, I'm with you both. Great episode. I'm glad Star Trek's back, and I find myself agreeing with you both again. I actually am enjoying the week break between episodes. And good, good work, Jonathan Franks. You're, you still got it. Absolutely. Yeah, he did a great job. Personally, I think season one could end with them just going to black alert and Lorca just goes engage and they jump and we assume that they're jumping back to our, our universe and that's the end and, of the season. And then Riker ends the hollow program. <laughs> 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 too soon. Oh, Sorry. No, no. It'll always be too soon for these are the voyages. <laughs> they, they tried. You can definitely tell that was one of the episodes. We'll talk about this later on next year or something. <laughs> well, guys, we only we only have $100,000, but we have to make a finale. Just do something. I we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, we will talk These Are the Voyages. I can promise you that. I've got plenty to say. <laughs> I liked it. Oh, wow. <laughs> says, the guy, says the guy who's never seen Mirror, Mirror. All right. Okay. It's too old. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever, man. I'll watch it eventually. All right. 
<laughs> well, then that's going to be it, I think, for us this week, guys. Yep, yeah, yep. I think so. On to plugs. All right. All right. Yeah, well, everybody, thanks for listening uh, to Red Shirts and Runabouts. It's been it's great being back. It's great talking Discovery. Uh, remember, you can easily track us down online on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. we got plenty of other shows. Gentlemen, if people want to find you online, how can they do so, Derek? You can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Facebook and Twitter. I am much more active on Twitter, so please come talk to me. And I'm on Twitter at Zen Munkin. Uh, I also host a Saturday morning cartoon podcast on the network, and uh, we're currently running a Marvel podcast where we're watching all the movies leading up to Infinity War. Yeah, it's my other favorite episode that you and your crew do, guys. I love it. Should we plug the Comic-Con panel if you're in the Kansas City metro area? Oh, yeah. So please, uh, February 16th, 17th, and 18th is Planet Comic-Con here in Kansas City, Missouri. And we will have a Red Shirts and Runabouts live podcast panel on Saturday the 17th at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. We will be wrapping up and discussing the Season 1 arc of Star Trek Discovery because it will have ended the week before, which is perfect timing. So all three of us will be there in person. Yeah. (laughs) Come check us out. It is one of the largest conventions in the Midwest. And I think it's top 10 in the country now, actually, with, with... Number of attendees. If if you're going to be there, uh, we'd we'd love it if you stop by the panel and say hi. It'd be it'd be cool to see anybody if anyone's listening to this. <laughs> Please do, and I'm going to tell you this now. So I've got a, so uh, for those who don't know, a while back I contributed to a book uh, called um, Inside Out Makes It So, where I uh, wrote an essay about the Star Trek Next Generation episode Ethics, along with 173 other people who wrote about the other episodes. Um, I am going uh, to bring a couple copies of that book, and the three of us will be giving away at least a couple copies to people who come and watch the panel. So there's your there's your your way to come watch the show, get something for free. Or, Very nice. Or if you just w- want to say hi. Or if you just want to say hi, I know I'm trying to bribe people, <laughs> Jeremy. All right. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, another fun week. Yeah, it's been great. I I love it. And I'm really excited to actually do an episode of this live in person with all three of us together in the same room. Me too. Yeah, it'll be nice to actually meet you, Greg. (laughs) I'm back in town now for good, at least it seems like. But all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can find us online at Twitter at Heroes Podcasts. Uh, Just search it in the search box. You can find us on Facebook, Red Shirts and Runabouts. That's this show's title. The Heroes Podcast Network, they talk about gaming and upcoming movies and Saturday morning cartoons. They talk about essentially everything that's part of the nerd culture. There's something for everybody. Yep. Um, So stick around, and we'll see you on the next episode of Star Trek Discovery and Red Shirts and Runabouts. Long and prosper.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.